Weekly newspapers, the weekly packet, Island Advantages, the Casting Patriot, the annual Bay Community Register, the Summer Seasonal Guide, and more. Also on the web at www.penobscotbaypress.com. The time is 10.01 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. The Rhonda's birthday edition of Healthy Options with Rhonda Feynman is up next. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. Um, and, uh, and welcome to Healthy Options. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and um, yes, it is my birthday. So today we will be discussing early childhood development, and I'll tell you about our guest in a second. But since it is my birthday, I'll ask you all to do some birthday pledging to WERU, make it a present for me to ERU. So let me give you that number. It's 1-800-643-6273, and pledge your support to WERU so we can make this all happen. So... Here we are. Healthy options begin at home. Begins at home, doesn't it? Okay. Today we'll be discussing healthy childhood development and healthy parenting strategies with our guest, Nadine Reimer. She's a professor and faculty member at the University of Maine in Orono. She's been working with Cooperative Extension for 30 years, bringing her expertise and research from the University of Maine to share with local communities. And for the past 15 years, she's provided momentum for expanding and supporting parenting education here in Maine. It seemed like the right thing to discuss on my birthday, so parenting. Anyway, she's been instrumental in creating and implementing the parental the parent education program of Knox County. This is going to go on for a while because she's pretty impressive, which began as a home visitation and mentoring program for teenage parents. And through Nadine's instigation, the program has expanded. Um, so these programs um, and services are available to any first-time parents. She's worst, worked extensively with at-risk children and families. She sets up and she's been working with funding programs, which effectively create better opportunities for healthier parenting. She also supervises and trains professionals who are in the field of parenting education she oversees the day-to-day operations of these collaborations also. And she's here to talk to us today about healthy options, early childhood intervention, parenting education, at-risk children and families, and more. So here we are. Welcome to Healthy Options, Nadine Reimer. Or should I say Professor Nadine Reimer? Make your dad happy. <laughs> Thank you, Rhonda. So can you tell us a little bit about the program and what kind of services you offer, and then we'll, we'll get more specific about, uh, about what that means. But. I should say that there are first-time parenting education home visitation programs that are available to parents, first-time parents across the state of Maine, and that is um, Start Me Right money, state money, and it's uh, spent locally. So there are ways to get involved with parent support if you're a first-time parent, no matter where you live in Maine. So we'd say that first, and that doesn't necessarily happen through cooperative extension in every locale. So you need to seek out where that's provided from, and we can help mm-hmm. with that. Give us a call. What's your phone number just now? We'll do it again later, too. I have an 800 number, which is 1-800-244-2104, and that'll take you to the Knox Lincoln Extension Office, and they'll uh, take a message. <laughs> okay. So we'll... Uh we'll, we'll get that again um, as, as the uh, program continues. So... Did this start as a home visitation program? So you go actually to people's homes. Right. And and that would be right. 
the parent educators in our program actually do home visitation. If the home isn't a comfortable place for a visit, they can do that in our shop or they can do it at the local you know, restaurant or a library, wherever folks are comfortable. And people need to volunteer to be in the program. They're not conscripted. So it's not the, you a, mean the the the, the, the families. parents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the families would it be volunteers in the program and we like to connect with our parents early in their pregnancy first trimester second trimester third trimester so we make the connection and the relationship before the child actually arrives that's the best best scenario so how does someone think wow I really need this kind of service what's uh, who, how do, how do people come to volunteer Well, we've been in business for a long time, and our program, our legacy is around teen parents. So we started our teen parent program in 1989 and had – that was – we had a large population of teen parents in the state of Maine. So there was funding available to do a program specifically with teens, and from there we expanded with the Healthy Me money, Healthy Maine money um, for any first-time parent. But – Our legacy is with teen parents, so we've been in Knox County for a long time and established connections, so our legacy brings us families. So if you think of 20 years ago, then we have moms who had children at that point who now have 20-year-olds who might already take advantage of our program. So we've been in the community for a long time, so that's part of how we get parents. But also OBGYN or, you know, their providers because we have connections and have had connections and in Knox County, we're lucky because there's basically one central provider. So it makes it, it's made it um, accessible. Folks get referred by their caregivers. So someone would say, wow, you're a first-time parent. Maybe, you know, how does that get approached? I mean, in terms of skills and, and, that, and that kind of thing. Do people say, wow, I don't have a clue? Or, <laughs> you know, here we are having this baby. What, what do we have to learn? Yeah. One of the things we really like about our program is that we provide universal services. So you don't have to be an at-risk parent to uh, be a part. Um, I think that's important. Um, Otherwise, we'd feel like, oh, at-risk families are the only people who need support with parenting. And my belief is, is that when you have a child, you can use support. And then a new baby in a family is a stressful situation. And stress is good and stress is bad, but we're just there as a support system. So a family would say, would have all the questions, you know, and now we know in communities that extended families are separated. Your mother might live in New York City or Kansas City or your in-laws might live in North Carolina. So it's a way to provide a support system. Um, And sometimes extended families aren't the best place to look for support. So it's an alternative even if your mother-in-law lives next door to give you another kind of support with that first child. So what kind of things do you train the home visitation professionals? What, what kind of services? What, what is the kind of support? Mostly our work is relational, I believe. And so what we want to do is um, support parents in being the best first teacher. And we really do believe that parents are the experts when it comes to their child. They know their child better than anyone else because they spend a lot of time with that child. So they're the expert. And from there, we just listen to their questions, um, try to answer their questions. We don't necessarily come in with a big uh, agenda about how to parent because it's a very value-laden effort. (laughs) So we want to support the culture and the values that that family has. So we may be looking at, well, do you know that your child will be ready to do this, that, or something else? Um, 
and just prepare them for the developmental stages. We also look at some of the philosophy of the folks who study child development. So we might bring that information um, to the family just to support where they're going and just to make them feel like they're good, intuitive parents, they're doing a great job, and we're just there to support that. Well, a couple of questions come up here. Um, One is, yeah, that, I, I, that was one of my questions that, you know, you think of uh, people coming into the home, there's this whole ancient old model of social work, this idea of we are going to tell you what the right way to do something is. Mm-hmm. And that, that does seem like a, a conversation that um, is laden with uh, a, a, a whole preconceived notion of what good parenting is. Mm-hmm. So what is the basic value or bottom line that the professionals come in with. I mean, there are certain, obviously, things that are uh, that you need to, to teach, you know, about that really are just basic good parenting, and then other things that you need to... Do, do you have a program where you're really talking to people about their perceived um, bias, as it were, or this is... All, par- all families should look like my family, you know. All mm-hmm. parents should behave in this way. Um, how do you make that not happen, I guess, is the question. I like to think about it as like the magic of the individual that's coming to join your family. And what do you know about this individual when it arrives? And what does this individual, this little tiny new creature, what does that, what does that person bring to you? Um, how do they come prepared to make a relationship with a mom and a dad, an extended family? So what we try to do is to just point out, you know, these are all the things about this new little person um, that you can, you know, choose to participate in this life. And we want it to be a really good, supportive um, connection. So parents are intuitive in some ways, just like uh, any mammal can intu- intuitively parent, you know, take care of its young. But we believe that human parents can also use the support of other humans. So it's a, it's a community effort. Everybody needs a community to parent this new little life. So we would bring like, okay, did you realize that the child is gazing at you now? Maybe your child has um, certain sensitivities. They're going to um, give you lots of cues. So don't miss the cues. How do you interact? And as you do that with this infant, you're building brain cells. So it's preparing the child to become the adult who's going to run for president someday. Okay. So let's talk about that. I like the, this, the whole idea about facial, the gazing. Let's talk about some developmental stages. Is that, is that good? So here you are. You have – oh, I, and, I, and the other thing that I want to say, boy, I'm, I'm doing a little birthday uh, four thoughts at once kind of thing here. You talked about getting people involved with prenatal care. And, um, and does that involve nutrition? Does that involve um, – Sure, Um, sure, yeah. And if, you know, folks are going to pick and choose what they want to feed themselves and feed, you know, a lot of um, what's the eating for two kind of uh, thing that happens there. But we would um, like to support the the diet of the parent. You know, it's not like we're coming in with a prescription diet. We certainly would want to answer questions about what is a good healthy diet if a mom has those questions. We're not asking them to, you know, well, we all know. Probably there are things that are better for us to eat and worse for us to eat. But it's not a judgment necessarily, but just, again, a support system. If you want to make changes, here are some changes that we might suggest that would help you be healthier, help you have a healthier pregnancy, help you have a healthier child. 
So at that moment, it seems like a, a good time to also uh, introduce ideas about uh, childhood development and what is appropriate and, and what you would expect your child to be doing. Um, does that happen before, or do we, do we wait till the baby arrives? We like to do what we call sort of preparation in terms of milestones. So this is what you can look forward to. One of the uh, people that, um, you know, some of the theory, behavior theorists that we would look at would be uh, Brazelton, and his theory is is that with every milestone or with every new skill that the child is learning, there's going to be a period of breakdown because the child is going to be so focused on that next step. So if we took, for example, walking, and you have a seven to nine month, 12 month old child, everybody has its own schedule, every child has its own schedule, but their energy is going to be so focused on their exploration of the world, they want to walk so badly that other things in their life might break down, like a sleeping schedule might break down. So you've just had this baby start sleeping through the night, and all of a sudden this baby doesn't want to sleep through the night anymore. And it's making you crazy and your partner crazy. Everyone's going crazy. But that really is how development happens because when you're so focused on one thing, you can't wait to get out of bed in the morning or in the middle of the night to (laughs) practice your new skill. I must walk now, Mom. That's right. It's 3 a.m. I'm sorry. That's what we're going to do. That's really interesting. If if you really think about how we learn things, Mm -hmm. then the idea of really focusing on one thing at a time seems pretty good and you can just see how crazy our society is by even as as we grow up distract all the distractions and all that too much input keeps us from really staying on track for what we we need to be doing right and we know that all children come with temperaments and so some children you know we can't say we can't predict necessarily but some children are going to be really focused on and others are going to be distracted, just like, you know, our adult friends. We have some that can really focus and some that are more distracted, some that are, um, you know, we all come with different personalities. So you're not going to change the personality or necessarily build it, and that's one of the miracles of having more than one child. You realize, wow, each one is different. So, again, it's not a prescription, but it's a support system. Parents are a support system to get this little child, little infant to an adult that's the role of a parent. Well, let's talk about, uh, by the way, we are, this is uh, Healthy Options, and we are speaking with uh, Nadine Reimer, who um, has been providing um, uh, care for at the Cooperative Extension, particularly in Knox County, but these the services are available throughout the state um, about um, parent education programs, and um, we're going to talk about childhood uh, development right now, too. So, and we're... Here. Oh, by the way, it is a, a pledge drive, so um, please do consider, if you like this kind of programming, giving us a call at 1-800-643-6273. Wish Rhonda happy birthday. Send a check. There you go. Thank you, Nadine. You're hired. Um, <laughs> speaking of uh, developmental uh, uh, stages, um, <laughs> that's why this seems like such a good program today. Let's talk about, um, the f- I'm really into the facial recognition aspect and the, and the gazing. And um, can we talk more about that and what kind of cues that parents should be looking for or anybody taking care of, a, of an infant should be looking for? I like to talk about the relationship dance. And again, that intuitive parent 
may be more apt at doing the relationship dance. But if you miss the cue, then you miss the opportunity. And that's part about the gaze. You need to meet the gaze of the child when the child's gaze is ready to be met. That We're talking really early infant. And that's a connection that you're going to have with that child. The child is learning about its parent. So it's that connection. And when those gazes aren't met, when they're dismissed, then what is that opportunity missed in terms of that development, that synapse, that neuron that didn't get fastened in the right way? We can talk about the brain, how the brain is uh, full of all of these uh, little connections. And if those connections aren't challenged and um, if we don't make those connections, then what did we miss? Not to make people really nervous about that, but we do want to... You know, we do want to stimulate the infant in the way that infant is prepared to be stimulated. So if we're born early or we're born with other kinds of complications, we're born with lots of sensitivity, then that requires a parent to understand that complication and to read those cues, like don't hold me so tight now because I don't feel comfortable with this touch now. So how do you figure out what your child needs and when your child needs it, but to meet the gaze of the child so that, and let be intuitive, be, um, let the child take the lead, follow the child's lead. All parents want the very best for their children. There's no question about that. So I think that that helps us be good intuitive parents, but if we don't know all we need to know, then we need support in figuring that out. Let's give the number again in case uh, someone's out there saying, hey, this could be useful to me. What's the number they should call you at? 1-800-244-2104. Okay. That's 1-800-244-2104. Of course, Nadine can't answer right now, but uh, do leave a message. (laughs) Um, So... It's interesting to me. I keep coming back to the facial gaze aspect because so many we hear so much of uh, of kids being plopped in front of a TV or a video or that kind of thing, or even driving in the car a lot. Would you, you know, where that facial that that connection isn't isn't being made? What mm. are we What are we seeing in childhood development based on those kinds of uh, of Situations. Well, if we look at birth to three months, for example, we know that children are going to be doing a lot of sleeping in that time. So maybe they have eight to ten hours when they're awake over a 24-hour period of time. So during that 24-hour period of time, what is that infant doing? So that infant needs to be interacting if, in fact, it's ready to interact. Or if it's uh, averting a gaze, that means it's overstimulated perhaps and you just need to give it some time to recollect itself. So what infants are learning is basically self-regulation. Overstimulation causes behaviors that it's very upsetting to parents, you know, crying, um, gastrointestinal uh, kinds of concerns with, with new infants. I mean, they give us all kinds of clues so that we can um, care for them in a way that is appropriate and a way that, you know, makes the connection gives them what they need, and by doing this, we're letting that child know that they can control their world. By doing a certain behavior, they're going to get a certain response. It's very elemental, don't you think? It, it is. And, but this whole idea of control, I guess that's probably the ultimate control. And then ultimate, and then what happens after a year or two years, then, then we have to start talking about not, about who, you know, about, about living in a wider parameter, so that everything, even though you've had this experience of having this control as an infant, but now we're going to say no. 
Mm. Oh, let's talk about that. We hate <laughs> that part, but yeah. <laughs> what uh, happens then? What's the next stage? Mm. Well, I think that it's it's impossible to spoil an infant. So first of all, parents Good. really, really need to uh, engage with their infants and not say, well, they're crying now, so I don't want to spoil them, so I'm going to let them keep crying. That's not really a good – we don't – that's not what we do anymore. Um, but when they get a little bit older, toddlers, their mission in life is to figure out their world. So they are not necessarily defiant when you say, no, don't turn that knob one more time. What they're doing is, what does this knob do? And how will my mom or my dad react if I turn it one more time? So it's all about discovery. It's not about defiance. And I think to keep that in our mind really helps us understand the opportunity for distraction, um, the opportunity for child-proofing the environment. Like if you don't want the child to touch things, then move them out of the environment because they really do need to explore. That's how they learn about their world. So would you say, when does that start? When we've we've kind of gotten, what, the the infant, the gaze, those kinds of cues. Um, Did we just miss a a, a stage in between there? Or or now are we in the... I'm going to be exploring my world, walking around and, you know. I think every day is like a new opportunity because they're growing so enormously fast. They're developing like new little tricks every day. And we see infants. I might see a family with a baby and then three months later because I'm not, you know, with that family, my parent educator or our parent educators would be with that family. I might see the baby three months later and they've, they look different. Physically, they appear different. They're... Um, different people. So they're growing enormously quickly over that first year of life, and then things kind of slow down a little bit. And there are more challenges socially and the behavioral challenges. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's happening in the first three years of life. Are just, for me, they're just magical. I mean, we learn half of what we need to survive in the first three years of our life, right? Talk, walk, get along with people. We're learning all of that. Oh, let's all take a moment to reflect on how we're doing with these basic skills. Just, just to take a moment, have a breath. Now, I'm sure we're all fine. Okay, so this exploring thing, I think this is really interesting because this is not the parenting that some of our parents ha- uh, had or understood that there would be that you're putting a, an adult um, idea of defiance or something on an exploratory behavior and therefore getting into a whole idea of, of, of discipline in a way that seems not so appropriate is what you're telling us, that that, that old way of looking at what kids are doing is uh, not so useful. And uh, how, do we, how do you teach that? Because some people come in with their, with their own ideas of what they experienced. Right. Well, we like to be really mindful of what people's values are around their parenting. We've had um, families who say, well, you know, my parents spanked me, so I think it's okay to spank my children. What do you do with that? And you want to be supportive of the parent, and you might want to say something like, well, you know, if somebody hits you, how does that make you feel? How do you respond to someone, you know, striking you? You want to strike back. So is that the best way to get the information across. 
And it certainly would provide a distraction. We talked about distraction, right? So hitting someone can distract them from a behavior, but is that, are you going to get the results that you're hoping for? I think um, we don't want to necessarily lay our values out there, but we also want to give people um, enough information so that they can think over what those responses might be. And Discipline is actually discipleship. So living by model is what we like to go for. You know, if what kind of a person do you want this child to become? So you are teaching that child through example. Discipline is not punishment, and it certainly isn't punitive action. So. That's really that's really helpful. So the the distraction technique the child being in the right environment so that what he or she is exploring is age appropriate and uh and nurturing versus you know mm-hmm. getting into trouble stop putting the peanut butter in the vcr slot or the dvd <laughs> slot right you know child proof yeah <laughs> take the peanut butter away <laughs> <laughs> that's it what are you doing with that peanut butter anyway? right but so this is this is um this is really uh, an, an, an interesting idea, too, because I guess you're asking these families, I, we all have to do this with uh, when we're in relation, about looking at their own values and their own assumptions. Mm-hmm. What I don't want families to miss is that, you know, every child has a longing for structure. So we're not saying they don't need to have certain parameters or rules or ways of living with other people, those are important. So it's not about structure, but it's about how we choose to implement that structure. Children thrive in a structured environment, really. I think research would prove that, you know, for someone to say, you know, we get up at this time, we eat our breakfast this way, um, this is what we do after breakfast. This is what we do in bedtime ritual. You know, so f- a structured life for a child is important. And that's different from what we were talking about before, which was, you know, how you say no to a child. And you can still say no. And when you say no, you need to mean no. So I think that's the other complication with parents because kids are very good at sort of, you know, trying something and trying it again and trying it again. So you do have to have limits. You need to be able to set the limits, and you need to stick with the limits that you set. And they need to be human. Human limits? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Things that you can can also follow through on. Um, I'm also seeing if if people are partners. I I imagine in a single-parent household, the issues might be a little bit different. But if you have two parents or something, they have to kind of agree you can't be, well, mom says this and, you know, the other parent says, oh, okay. Well, you know, how, do, how do we discuss that, <laughs> you know? We all know as adults, and if we talked about our own parents, right, we would say, well, this is what mom would do and this is what dad would do. So we all figure it out that our parents are not thinking with one mind. No, but it not. is helpful if they agree on how, you know, the major complications or the major ways to discipline. I think those become probably more issues of consistency when kids are teenagers, but with little kids too, you want consistency. You don't want one parent to say, it's okay if you put peanut butter in the VCR when dad really doesn't want you to do that. <laughs> so, or what, you know, I mean, they really do need to agree on some of the basic things that make the family function. 
Yeah, but right. their parents are going to be different. Dads bring different things to a relationship than moms. Dads can, you know, play a little. What we've found out through research is that dads um, have more fun with little kids than moms do because moms end up being, you know, the people to wash your face, wash your hands, take a bath, don't do this, do this. We have to do this now. We're going to go grocery shopping now. But dads, you know, they come home and play ball or whatever, frisbee, uh, throw the kid up in the air, enjoy music. But moms can do that too. Okay. So we good. We get to get out of these uh, these good stereotypes, and because there are certainly enough uh, uh, non traditional families, and and so we're seeing um, how does that play out? We're seeing different kinds of of roles emerging mm-hmm. as these families uh, emerge. Are you getting a lot of uh, non traditional families as well uh, as part of your program? We do get non traditional families, and what I think the Questions that non-traditional families have are um, just like traditional families, and sometimes they're more open to some suggestions. So they really are seeking out information about what is what is good parenting. How am I going to be the best parent that I can be? So they're more open maybe to um, information about what makes them a good parent. Single parents need support and takes communities to raise children. It's not about individuals necessarily because at some point – if you're a single parent, you're probably going to have a job. That means you have to engage a caregiver, a child care person. So you're co-parenting with that child care provider. So none of us are doing this job alone. We all need support. We all need other people that are going to support. Is that part of the program as well? How, how do you deal with a, a caregiver if you have to be out of the home? Um, how do you pick somebody or how do you find the right place? Is that part of the training as well? Certainly. If a parent came to us and said, so what are the questions, what are the 20 questions that I need to ask? How do I choose a provider for my child because I can't be with them? You know, you have your own personal values, again, that you're going to look for an individual who you feel comfortable with. Certainly you want to look at safety. I mean, there are some really basic things that you want to want to make sure that are in place. But I would say, you know, meet with that person, talk to that person, have your kid experiment there, you know, like go to the center or to the home where you're going to place your child and you spend time there with your child and the person that you're going to leave in charge of your child so that you'd build a relationship before you start paying them to take care of your child. Right. You're listening to Healthy Options, by the way. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and my guest today is Nadine Reimer, and she is instrumental in creating and implementing the Parent Education Program of Knox County. She's also part of the uh, University of Maine Orono as, as a professor and faculty member, and is working with a uh, through this work with a uh, cooperative extension and. Um, is uh, talking about how to get involved in the parental, uh, the parent education programs if uh, if you need to, and, and a number to call if if you're if this is something that's uh, um, resonating with you is one eight hundred two four four two one zero four to get information where these kinds of services are available throughout um, in your area because this is available throughout the state of Maine. Um, the other thing. Um, that I, I, is when how long does do people stay in the program? What is the how old are the babies or what to like? We like to enroll people, enroll people <laughs> prenatally, and we like for them. We say that we can serve them until the child is ready. We're interested in um, successful school entry, so our programs serve families zero to five, 
and it's again a program that you volunteer to be in so if at some point it doesn't feel like there's progress or that you don't need that support anymore then you know you can say goodbye to us but we're available we do like to make the connection in the first three months of the child's life so it's more difficult for us to get a referral for a two-year-old because of the funding so we do you know we do try to make the connection prenatally to three months then you're an enrolled family and after that um, case by case we might take someone but usually if you're not involved early then our services are not available. Mm, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> right. It's just harder, I would say, um, at, at that point is what I'm hearing you say. It's just harder to really get that. Uh, do, but are there other, is there another way for uh, uh, any other resources for parents with uh, toddlers, older, older uh, kids who need some help? that we know of or is that just something we need to be working on i think every community probably is a little bit different and i think probably the breakaway age there probably is if the mom or the dad or the the work schedule um so go back to work so there might be opportunities through child care centers for parenting we offer some um courses you know it'd be like 12 weeks of a certain conversation with parents for a certain age of a child. So those are available in communities. Every community is a little bit different, but there probably are educational programs. Cooperative Extension offers some parenting courses so people can get involved. Adult education would be a place to look. Um, I think hospitals or other care, social work kinds of, you know, we have all those in the state of Maine. So I think give those folks a call. Give me a call. I'll try to connect you. Great. So we're up to, we've done the, the toddlers exploring your world aspect, and um, wh- what happens then? What happens then? Do we do a preschool? Do we, how do we then, what, what kind of ex- expectations would you have for healthy childhood development as the, as the child is, a, is getting older? I want to talk just a minute about literacy, because one of the projects that we, um, I think is pretty much across the board now, but start reading to your child even prenatally. So pick out your favorite but literacy, uh, reading to children is really critical from the day that they're born. So as you start to say preschooler, then there's more and more intellectual development. So some of the gross and fine motor skills are well under control by that point. They're making great strides in terms of their um, ability to run, jump, hop, whatever. And they're going to start focusing. Language development is in place, hopefully. If not, then let's find out if we need to do speech kind of support speech therapy so there are places to go child development services available in every community for kids to get what we want to do is remediate the problem or you know have some kind of of way to remediate before we start school so we look at all of those kinds of intellectual development and you know all all the across all the domains we're looking at you know what are the things that need support maybe they need additional support in a certain domain so let's get those in place with PT, with uh, physical therapy or occupational therapists. So those are all available in communities. People could, we would be help. We could help people find. That's not what we do, but we can help people find those services. So those are the kinds of cues again that you're educating parents about. This is this is um, what we would expect a child of five, four, three to be doing. Three, four, and if your child is not then we need to evaluate whether this is just 
this child taking its time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or if there really is something we need to intervene with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess that, that kind of determination would not necessarily be made by your staff, but you would then refer. That's correct. To right. other professionals. Right. Now, the reading aspect is, is really important. Um, what Are there options? Um, there are some parents who have difficulty reading themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet might want to really help their, their child. I mean, is that a moment when some sort of other kind of, of intervention, is that when books on tape might be useful? Is that, you know, even listening together with the child? Is that something that would be uh, useful? Or what other suggestions would you have if that's a, an issue in a family? I, I just This has just come up in, in some of the people I've met over the last a year or so, so I'm curious. We have a really good collaboration with our um, Literacy Volunteer Project, and I'm sure they're in every community in the state of Maine. Um, so we look at, uh, again, if the parents have those problems, then there's a way to do family literacy. So um, uh, the Literacy Volunteer, Barbara Bush grants that are around, um, we have one of those ourselves. We're successfully implementing uh, ways to engage folks who don't have a high school diploma or an equivalent, and we have opportunities for caregivers, again, moms, dads, to um, do literacy work, change their own level of literacy along with their child, introducing their child to reading. So you, 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 you're, you're grimacing a little because I don't think you like that, that phrase. Here, re- rephrase it. What was the phrase? I don't know. <laughs> I'm tongue-tied. So um, you're doing great, but I think if a, if a family comes to us and they say, "Well, you know, I can't read," what we say is, "Look at the pictures and tell the story." You don't have to be able to read the book. Look at the book and say, "Oh, look, this baby is smiling," you know, because they have language skills. So if you're a non-literate, you're not a reader, then just tell the story. Use a book. The book format, if it's a book about animals, you can talk about whatever the animals are doing on the page. You know, if it's a book about oranges and apples, you can talk about the color of oranges and apples. So it's basic, but right. just language. Okay, language. Because, yeah, you were saying changing the level of literacy, and, and that's not necessarily what we're trying to do. There may, that, may be, uh, that may be six, uh, possible, and it may not be. So what we're offering here is, is another alternative to, to being creative. So that that uh, your child can perhaps explore things in a different way. And you were asking about television earlier, and television is not a way to teach language skills or even, um, you know, the American uh, pediatrics folks don't support television viewing for children under the age of two. So having a child even be involved or engaged with TV, when we think that that's happening, it's really probably not happening because they need different kinds of stimulus so we're recommending that probably children over the age of two, if in fact they're interested in television, they not be given more than 45 minutes to an hour of television time daily. So, And that's hard in families where, you know, the TV is on 24-7. So it, it's, um, it's a challenge for parents. So books are a good alternative, constructive play. Um, Playing with your children. That's what we try to engage in. It's like, let's play with our kids. Everybody get off the TV. Let's play with the kids. 
when they're young, let's roll a ball, let's skip, let's do hopscotch, let's whatever. Play peekaboo. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Once again, we are speaking with uh, Nadine Reimer. She is uh, part of Cooperative Extension and, is, and also a professor and faculty member at the University of Maine in Orono. And she's been uh, creating and implementing the Parent Education Program of Knox County for at least 15 years. And that is a program that offers uh, home visitation and mentoring to teenage parents, to all parents, any parents. First-time parents. First-time parents, any first-time parents. And uh, once again, we're emphasizing that it's a great thing to do when you're, uh, if this seems useful, when you're uh, still pregnant. Mm. Right, prenatal work. And if you have questions about that, you can contact Nadine, 1-800-244-2104. And uh, if your child is older and you need some uh, assistance, there are other ways to get that, and she could probably make some suggestions. All right, and look in your community for that. And these are what I'm really interested in is how this is statewide. And um, in the recent budget cuts, is the, are these programs still being funded well, or did you lose money, or what's the... The situation. I think we're pretty good to move ahead at this point. Um, our governor and uh, the governor's wife and uh, the governor's cabinet, children's cabinet, are very supportive of the home visiting work. And so far, we've been able to maintain our funding. Of course, good. we'd love to see it grow, but um, to have it maintained whenever when other services are being cut, I think there is some um, question about the um, support over time. So we'll just see where it goes, but. But right now, we're good. Oh, good. So how many volunteers do you get to work with? Um, I guess the professional. The professionals are paid, right? The people who go out. And the volunteer part is actually whether you participate in the program or not. And, and that's self-selected or perhaps by a, another medical professional or someone else saying, hey, this is a great program, get involved. Right. We do mentorship. So the person who would be interested in mentoring on uh, family would come, they would get some training. Um, we do background checks with those folks and make sure that it's okay to do the match. And um, then they would get matched with the family, and sometimes that involves transportation. But basically, it's being a friend to the mom. You know, when you have a baby, the baby gets a lot of attention. The mom maybe doesn't get so much attention anymore. So, what we try to do is create a mentor relationship where the mom really feels like this is her friend. And she can rely on this person, ask this person questions. Again, um, that relationship has to be worked out between the mentor and the mentee. And um, each one is different. So is, that, uh, is, the, is the mentor available only at certain hours? Is it, or is the, there a phone? You know, I have to call you at 9 o'clock because my baby is uh, 9 p.m. because, uh, you know, she's freaking out. And I don't know, does she have a fever? What am I supposed to do here? How do I know if she's sick? If, should I take her to the doctor? You know? Right. Well, there's a very large community of support. So I think that, again, if uh, the, initially the relationship would be like, okay, you want a mentor, you want to be a mentor, here are two people, we're matching you, it feels a little artificial, like big brother, big sister kind of thing, you know, you're not really my sister, you're not really my aunt, but anyway, they work out the relationship, the volunteer mentor and the mentee, so it may be possible that one volunteer would say, yeah, call me anytime, another volunteer might say to their mentee, you know, don't call me between 9 o'clock at night and 9 o'clock in the morning. So those relationships are individual relationships, and okay. we don't really set parameters in that regard. Okay. Curious. And before, we were talking about the discipleship. I love that. 
this mm. idea, discipline, discipleship. Um, I mean, I would imagine that the your people are trained also to to make sure there isn't any unfortunate abuse or inappropriate behavior. Is that? Uh, but although these are these are not families um, where quote at risk. But uh, do we still? I mean, how do we approach that? That kind of issue is in, in, in the program. Well, there are families who we would say are at risk. But then when you look at what are the risk factors, every family can be at risk, you know. It doesn't take much to put a family at risk. Like I said earlier, the birth of a child makes a family more stressful than it was before. I mean, it's a happy time, but it's also a stressful time. Um, if there's a relationship with an extended family, um, that's not so comfortable. That can create stress in the birth of a child or how you bring up a child, you know. My mother-in-law is telling me I'm spoiling my child, but my parent educator says I can't spoil my child. I'm confused. What should I do? So, you know, stress is easy to come by these days. Right. I think it's really important to, to recognize that, 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 had, that the piece that's part of this is each parent bringing their own history and their own expectations and assumptions to their new situation. And in in this case, some, I, like in all families, some will be very healthy and, and appropriate and some will be less successful. And just having that extra uh, set of eyes from someone who deals with this professionally all the time and understands more about child development, this could be uh, just such a, a, it just seems such a valuable, useful experience. I, I wish, uh, it sounds like everybody should be doing this, it, it, you know, no matter who you are, mm. that, the, that just really getting more information and, and having a, a support system is just so valuable for everybody. And that's why we want people to feel like, you know, across the board, we're here for you. <laughs> you have questions about how to parent, we're here for you. So you have this great book here. Now, who is, who is this... Um, who, it's, a, it's understanding newborn newborn behavior and early relationships. This is um, is this something that uh, that that a, a parent would read, or is this more of a professional um, a tool? And uh, how would we translate that into uh, you know real family useful practical information? There are a lot of books. Um, the author that we probably should point out, T. Barry Brazelton, has a lot of great books for parents to read. He has uh, the long versions and the short versions, but touch points is uh, the key word there. So if you're interested in that. But there are a lot of good popular press kinds of books that families can read to help support parent. Again, it's so value-laden, so pick the one that supports your values, I guess we'd say. Um, there's lots of interesting philosophies about parenting. Um, Just enough to confuse you, mm -hmm, right? Yeah. I think one of the things that research bears out is that we parent as we were parented unless we make a very conscious effort not to be the parent who parented us. So... I think folks who say, I never want to be like my mother, or I never want a parent like my father, or my grandmother, or whoever helped raise you, then those are conscious decisions to do it differently, and we want to just support people with information about how that might happen differently. So, of course, I'm, I, uh, you know, I, I think it's so timely in the news now, the situation that happened in Texas recently. Um, 
<laughs> should we not bring this up? But just the idea of that kind of in, intervention, um, it, 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 to me, was uh, brought up a lot of, of questions about cultural, cultural issues, but also um, about issues about healthy, healthy development mm-hmm. uh, of young women and young men, and uh, and how do we deal with that? Uh, obviously, it's it's a little bit above the purview of of what you do in, professionally in Knox County, but um, I think it's interesting that the courts required parenting classes. That as, is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, I would say that I don't know enough about that culture to really make any kind of a sensible statement about whether or not the parenting that was happening in that compound was um, appropriate or not. Um, it appeared to me that the children were quite attached to their mothers and just the few little clips that I was observing. So I would say probably something was happening right there in terms of attachment and parenting, but I don't really know the details enough to speak with any great wisdom about that. But again, I think to be respectful of the culture, and that's the twist here is, you know, when it's against a law, do we have to... Do we have to support it? Uh, There's a big, really, really big question. And, and I, I think that's that's true. And where we get, um, you know, how to intervene with if there is child abuse and, and that kind of thing, which, again, uh, I guess we're getting into the DHS uh, part of of, uh, mm-hmm. of our of the state. And that's another conversation. But I think there are certainly things to keep in mind as we uh, well, all work. of our parent educators are mandated reporters. That's by law. So we know that if we're in a situation where the child is at risk, then a mandated report is made. And usually the best case scenario is to have the conversation with the parent first. Like, what I'm seeing is not okay with me. I need to report this situation. And we do do that from the very beginning, let families know that, you know, we are mandated reporters. So if something's going wrong, we have to report, no question. Mm -hmm. We like to not have that situation. I mean, we're in the work of prevention, so it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that we don't have families that we would report. It just means that we're there to prevent that, so hopefully... Less and less neglect and abuse is happening in that family and in the state of Maine as a result of the work that we're doing. That's really wonderful um, to know that that's available. And again, this is Nadine uh, Reimer that we're speaking with, and she works through the Cooperative Extension, particularly in Knox County, but these uh, and is instrumental in creating and implementing the Parent Education Program of Knox County, but is also uh, talking about how these kinds of programs are available for all and any first-time parents on a volunteer basis um, throughout the state. And again, for more information, you can speak to uh, Nadine at 1-800-244-2104. This is Healthy Options. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and we're getting to the end, but but there are a few more things that that I I would like to uh, touch upon. Um, One is um, we know that we're getting these kids into school. once they're in school and, the, and their involvement, the parent, parents and the kids' pro, uh, involvement with this program ends, are there other really organized um, programs that would take over if, kids, if pe- parents have questions as, as the, ki- the child gets older and teenage years and those kinds of things? How, are there? I think it's less structured at that point in terms of uh, what I know is happening across the state. So each community would have something different. Uh, certainly people could... Uh, turn to some of the organized places like I think I mentioned earlier adult ed might offer something they might check with a student uh, with a 
guidance counselor if the child is uh, you know in school already there may be something that's offered through the school there may be things that are offered through churches if people are hooked up with you know spiritual guides then that would be a place to go to get some support um there are other organizations that do social services that might offer parenting support and that's a little bit beyond the capacity we're doing zero to five. But, right. yeah, every parent, no matter what the age, needs support. I have a 22-year-old. I'd like a parent group to talk about what we do with – how do you parent a 22-year-old? Okay. Well, uh, all of you with 22-year-olds, there's Nadine's number. I think we can start something right now. I think – I'm sorry, Nadine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. The support group for uh, for grown-up – almost grown-up children <laughs> or supposedly grown-up children for all of us. Who remember ourselves at 22. And today I'm remembering a lot of, uh, of those developmental uh, stages. It also seems, from what you were talking about as we went through uh, the zero to five developmental stages, and as we said, that really you get everything that you need so in such an important fundamental way in those years that if you are really getting help with some of the parental uh, uh, ideas about those years some things are transferable as mm. your child is is getting older and and uh, while the the child um, certainly has different needs some of the i would say the the theory would certainly be the same of being child directed yet setting limits uh, well, how would you speak about that about how to transfer some of those skills I want to say that if we are living in a society that values children, and sometimes I have my questions about that, then we also have to live in a society or it will automatically help us cherry the, cherish the parents who are bringing up those children. So my goal would be to, first of all, have some passion and compassion for children, but then to also have a good support network for the parents who are doing the very best job that they know how to do in the moment. And we all make mistakes. There's no question about it. Philosophically, I don't believe that there are perfect parents. I think that we all make mistakes, so we need to forgive ourselves and move on. We also may need to, if our child understands the concept, say, you know what? Mom made a really big mistake. I'm really sorry. That didn't work out like I wanted it to or like we wanted it to. And you know, that's that's what discipline is. That's the discipleship, like it's okay to make a mistake. And then you say, hey, we're sorry we made the mistake, and now let's move on. So I think that is a good way to think about discipline also. It's okay to make a mistake. It's okay for your kids to make mistakes. It's okay for you to make mistakes. So there's certainly a lot more, a lot more leeway and a lot more um, respect. And I think that that's probably the more uh, the the biggest um, the biggest uh, change from uh, other other kinds of parenting that the child that there really is more respect and it has to go both ways. Mm-hmm. And by building this kind of trust, that that can happen. Sounds like a, it's a wonderful program, and I'm so pleased that that we have those resources and that commitment to this kind of development here in in Maine. Um, so thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. This is Healthy Options. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and our guest today has been Nadine Reimer. She's been working with Cooperative Extension for 30 years. She brings her expertise and research from the University of Maine 
She's sharing this with local communities for the past 15 years with the Parent Education Program of Knox County. And it is, once again, available to any first-time parents in uh, the state of Maine. And if you want to get connected in your community, you can call Nadine at 1-800-244-2104. Once again, that's Nadine Reimer at 1-800-244-2104. I want to thank everyone for listening. We'd like to thank uh, Roy Beasley, Will- Williams, and Granger for their renewal as bim- mem- business members-, members today. Thank you. Happy birthday to me. Thanks. <laughs> and uh, um, for pledging here on Healthy Options on WERU. Once again, the number is one 800 6273 And um, once again, 1-800-643-6273. Thank you for supporting Community Radio and uh, Healthy Options. Happy birthday, Rhonda. Thank you. Support for WERU comes from Intertech.